This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. We have a very different tennis podcast for you today because we wanted to pull back the curtain, speak to some people involved in the game that we wouldn't normally get to hear from and find out how the coronavirus and the enforced delay, the forced cancellation of so much of the tennis tour is having an effect on people involved in the game, people that are ranked 200 or 300 in the world, people that are trying to run tennis tournaments, people that are trying to run federations of national tennis countries like the UK. We've been speaking today to the chief executive of the LTA. We've been speaking to the world number 211, Liam Brody, the world number 375 on the women's side who's been putting together a, a petition to try to find a way to support players that are struggling financially. We've had responses from the tours and Catherine Whittaker and myself are here to talk all about it. And Catherine, overnight we've had the first words of the ATP's new chairman, Andrea Gaudenzi, talking to uh, a group of Italian media on a conference call, which Simon Briggs has written up. That's quite interesting. And he's also, Catherine, given some information that he believes to be uh, being talked about at the moment, that the US Open might end up being played indoors. Yeah, today was a day when Simon didn't wake up to discover he'd been scooped by Mike Dixon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, really interesting story from from Simon Briggs on uh, on a number number of levels. I mean, we're going to talk about the responses from that we've we've had. All of them come in today, actually, haven't they? We've been pressing for 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 word from the, the various. Um, governing bodies for a while and we've had statements today from from all three um and gaudenzi's comments obviously aren't an in official statement form and they do come with the caveat that uh we and simon are english speakers and the quotes were spoken in italian um but they're pretty interesting aren't they 
Yeah. He talks here about working on a, a four-week play swing, does Andrea Gardanzi, after the US Open, which, if that were to happen, then that, for a start, needs the French Open that has already been moved once to move back again yeah, he's, because there's not room. He sort of casually says, yeah, I mean, uh, the French Open would have to... He, he talks about this plan to create a clay swing and talks about Madrid happening the week before the French Open, so the the week that currently looks like it would be in between the US uh, and the French Opens, although I I was led to believe by press releases this week that the Madrid Open would be happening as planned in May, just uh, as an eSports competition. We'll talk about that later. (laughs) Um, We are not doing daily podcasts during the Madrid eSports Open. Okay. <laughs> um, Even that Andy Murray's playing, apparently. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'll watch because my <laughs> I'll take any entertainment I can get. But um, <laughs> yeah, and then Gav Denzi sort of casually says, you know, obviously this would require the French Open to move back a week, as if like, yeah, the French Open are obviously going to play ball, uh, despite the fact that there's been absolutely no indication thus far that the uh, the French Open wants to take a collaborative approach to to any of this. But certainly logically, of course, it makes sense for there to be a clay swing and for for a clay court Grand Slam not to just crop up out of nowhere <laughs> the week after <laughs> another Grand Slam. Obviously, that makes uh, total sense. It's interesting that um, what Simon said to us on a podcast, what, just over a week ago about the 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 rumblings of a possible US Open at Indian Wells in December. I think he reports in the piece today that there is little, it seems as though there is little appetite for that. And, and the preference of of uh, the powers that be would, would be for the US Open to be staged as currently planned behind closed doors that behind closed doors is preferable to uh moved back uh and in a different time and location which i find very interesting that that a kind of we now live in a world where best case scenario is that a grand slam is played behind closed doors yeah extraordinary to think about that we'll we'll hear later on as well in the podcast from stephen farrow who looks after all the, the events in Britain, including Queens, as to why they didn't decide to to play behind closed doors. Um, Also, in Simon's piece, he he quotes Andrea Gaudenzi talking about the impact, the importance of the ATP finals in November, I think financially as as much as anything, to the ATP. The quote here is, if we can sit tight and have the chance to host the ATP finals, that's good, we'll survive. Would we survive two or three years? Definitely not. The longer it takes to solve the, the situation, the worse our condition becomes. So there's a lot at stake here, isn't there? And we're going to hear the financial implications for, as I said, players, for federations, for tournaments, and even the ATP, which is a pretty healthy organisation, you feel, on many levels, has a lot to think about here. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't surprise me to hear how dependent ATP finances are on the tour finals. I was aware how significant a an event, well, the most significant event for, for the ATP as an organisation. I believe the same applies to, to, to the WTA for their finals. 
I was surprised to hear Gaudenzi put it in those to be as frank about that as uh, he seems to have been in that conference call with Italian journalists. Um, Simon also reports what a relief and a boost uh, it is for the ATP that the ATP Cup got played because that, I believe, um, resulted earned the ATP 10 million. So I, Simon reports that it earned them, them 10 million and provided it gets played again the start of next year, which isn't a given, but it's certainly far away enough that it's it's reasonable to be optimistic about that being played. Um, that would presumably be another ten million ish for them to to be able to bank on, um, which feels pretty massive at the moment. But yeah, certainly yeah. the the finals. Um, I, I get, I do get the impression that they, <laughs> even if there's only been. <laughs> Uh, the amount of tennis what what have we had so far six seven weeks of tennis no more than that eight weeks i think those finals will happen the atp finals will happen even if we go into it with the top eight that we've got at the moment <laughs> who would that be Ooh, who's, who's that eight be? in the world right now we'll, we'll, we'll have to look that up um because uh, i mean you know that that's a very good point obviously novak Djokovic is just fine uh because he's managed to already get there but uh as things stand it's novak Djokovic, dominic team gail monfils rafael nadal not bad so far andre rublev christian garin's there uh alexander zverev uh and stefano sitsabas roger federer just missing out in ninth so uh, there's your there's your list so far. That's the that's the race to London rankings, yeah. Rather than that's the, the race to London. Dan Evans. I is did in predict 11. that Rublev would make. Uh, <laughs> you <laughs> did, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, so that would so, be just fine for me. Unexpected uh, Christian Garin in packing area. Roger Federer yeah. would be the first alternate. Can you imagine yeah. him going to to London as an alternate? <laughs> I, I would love that. that that's got to happen. It's it's almost worth having it just to see that. <laughs> Um, so he, he's the hitting partner, which would be, <laughs> yeah. which would be great. Christian Garin's hitting partner. <laughs> that's, that's what I want to, that's what I want to see. Uh, so, I mean, look, that's the top end of the game and those guys as difficult as this is for everybody in these current circumstances. And obviously for many people more than, than those players who, who have no financial worries. What about somebody that is ranked outside the world's top 200. Liam Brody is the current world number 211. He has been as high as just outside the top 150. Uh, he is a British player who's currently staying at his parents' place. He was supposed to be in Barcelona preparing on clay right now, he told me. So what's he doing instead? Well, I've, I've been uh, in the... Well, not in the gym. I've been in my... Uh, made up outside gym for the last two weeks um just trying to get as fit as i can really i'm in a bit of a, a group chat with a few of the other players with the uh, lloyd glasspool and dan evans and his coach mark hilton um one of the other guys nathan rooney and we're all uh posting our times and our sessions in there and, and it's quite good actually it gives us a sense of um responsibility to the, to the rest of the group to do the sessions and stuff you know so you're effectively kind of making yourself compete with each other on various exercises to try to keep pushing yourself exactly yeah i i mean it's very as you probably know it's very tough to push yourself when you're on your own and, and there's no uh fallback for quitting um especially when you're doing a lot of hard runs and stuff like that whereas obviously now you 
I, I don't feel comfortable stopping because I know I'm going to get absolutely rinsed for it if I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, and what what can you do? In, in I mean, I, I don't know how big your your space is. I mean, tell us tell us what your your backyard, your converted backyard, looks like. How how, yes. how big is the space, and what what can you do in it? Yeah, so obviously the LTA sent me uh, the Watt bike and, and a little bit of kit as they did to quite a few of the players, um, which is obviously a lifesaver for me. I was worried that, I, you know, I actually spoke to Alex Diminar yesterday and Lloyd Harris a few days ago and they're, uh, they're not allowed out the house and they're just going stir crazy by the sounds that they're doing skipping and, and ab workouts, but they can't go for a run or anything. So they're obviously worse off than we are. Um but you know i've got the watt bike which is great but you know i'm managing to get outside and go for pretty long distance runs um it kind of makes you value it a lot more as well you know that freedom of being able to go outside yeah i does it make you miss tennis yeah i mean to be honest that if i take a day or two days off tennis and i miss it like like you can't believe um and that that's been one of the biggest messages in that in that group chat with Evo and everyone is, is how much everybody misses tennis already. You know, everyone's saying they kind of give their left arm to, to be back on court again, even not even competing, just hitting the ball. Yeah. Um, because obviously you can't play you know, at all at the moment. You, you exactly actually can't, can't play can't, tennis. Can't play tennis at all. I, I know some people might be able to, you know, whether they've got a home court or stuff like that, but obviously quite a few of the players over here don't have that option. So, you know, we're literally just, you know, I've not, I've not picked up a racket for two and a half, three weeks now, which is probably the longest since I was about ten years old. Wow! And I, I suppose, I mean, the, the, you, I know, I know Brad Gilbert. I mean, he, he in 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 the states, he hits against a wall every day, and and lots of yeah, people talk yeah. about that. But I mean, you need a wall, you need some space. You need a wall and uh, some con- and a concrete floor to be able to play on. The problem is, is I don't really have a wall big enough. Um, and also, I don't have a concrete floor, so you can get that true bounce. Um, so, there's, I mean, there's literally nothing you can do with the regards to the tennis, which is why I'm, I'm kind of put a positive and just try and come out of this, this little block fitter than I've ever been. Really, that that's my plan um, to be in as good a good a physical shape as I can be. What one of the challenges as well, Liam, must be that we don't know how long this is going to last. So, that mindset. I, I mean, I, we actually had Dan Evans on the show, I think, three weeks ago when when Indian when he just come yeah. back from Indian Wells, and he was saying yeah. that he, he he'd got plans to get on court, and he was hoping he'd be able to go and, and train with Mark <laughs> Hilton, and he was going to go and, yeah, and meet yeah. up in, in in Birmingham. But I think Mark was coming down from Nottingham, and obviously that that has quickly gone by the wayside. But so yeah, yeah. now we know what he's doing. He's he's in the group group chat with you. You're training, trying yeah. to get as fit as you can. But this is three weeks in. We've exactly we've got no tennis <laughs> until mid-june mid-july at the very earliest so so how are you going to sustain this to be honest i'm going to take it a week at a time you know i've, I've done two weeks two weeks of good training um i'm just focused on this week i don't even want to think about the future right now because otherwise i'll go I'll, you know i'll probably i'll probably stop training um so I'm just going to focus on it a week at a time. Um, and obviously each week I get under the belt is, is another another week towards the physical shape. Um, maybe towards the end of the lockdown, I might take a week off completely just to rest and then, you know, hit, hit the hopefully four to five weeks we have of, of training of every plan before tournaments as hard as I can. What does this mean, Liam, for you? 
financially because tennis players yeah. don't play tennis they can't earn prize yeah. money now obviously there are yeah. other ways yeah. to earn money or to be supported yeah. but what does this mean for you i mean i mean obviously it's very tough i mean you know i, I was going to be playing french open qualifying which is about you know around about 10 grand i was obviously building qualifying which is you know another 10 grand and and who knows what more above that I saw that the LTA are bringing out a little support package and stuff. Um, so I guess we'll see what extent that's to. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just all, you know, I'm almost not even thinking about it until I have all of the information. Um, you know, it's, it's quite worrying though, because I, I, I'd, I'd like to be able to still continue playing and, and, and almost stop on my own terms rather than having to stop because of, you know, the financial side of things. But, um so fingers crossed you know something something happens with that that you're right the lta released details of their package to support players and venues and coaches last week and uh, we'll hear about more about that in, in a moment or two but but that's that's still to come and it's not something that is necessarily happening elsewhere so hopefully that that will be some help but just to give listeners an idea i was looking through your your last three or four years of results yeah. and the, the the various prize amounts you would have got for for various tournaments and you know you've got tournaments where you've reached semi-finals or finals of challenger events and depending yeah. on the level of those events it, yeah. it can range quite dramatically how much you get and yeah. sometimes you're, you're maybe getting two or three thousand dollars for getting to a semi-final or a final and yet you turn up at Wimbledon last year and you won through two rounds of qualifying you you just missed out on the main draw I remember you being two sets to one up and you lost in in five sets but you still took home twenty two thousand pounds and if you'd have won that match I think you'd have been getting nearer 40 or 50 thousand pounds which is just enormous amounts of money look i I understand your situation you've got to make that work for you for the rest of the year but it's it's a huge deal isn't it i mean you know i I was speaking to somebody about this last year actually about um i'm not even sure if i'd still be playing tennis if if you know as a british player we didn't have wimbledon because i've become so reliant upon you know obviously the guys at the all england gave me the wild card into qualifying last year i'd like to think i kind of almost justified it anyway um and and I've become so reliant upon that financial package that comes with Wimbledon. I mean, it, it's it's I can't imagine what players from other countries, non-slam countries, will have to do to find a way to survive and continue playing playing this sport. Do you have to adjust your lifestyle in order to make it work? I mean, have you have you found at all over the last three or four years? I mean, you've had. Some years you've made maybe sixty thousand dollars. I know your best year you made about one hundred and forty. Um, yeah. You obviously have expenses coming out of that to keep your tennis yeah, in yeah. good shape as well. And, and you also have Do, to remember those those prize money checks are before tax. Uh, yeah, of course, which is obviously quite a large chunk when you think about it. Um, yeah, and then you need to take into account the coaching fees, um, and then you're obviously paying for your coach's travel as well. You're paying for your own travel. Um, the ATP have actually uh, are moving in a fantastic direction. I think at the moment they've they've just brought back uh, five nights of hospitality minimum for the main draw players at the challenger level. Um, I think before it was maybe three nights. Um, so obviously, when you're abroad, if you lose first round, you got to pay for four or five nights of of accommodation. It, it's all sort of not very cheap. Whereas now, you know, minimum five nights. It's it does actually make a big difference. Uh, so I, I do. Th- aware of the players 
um, problems and plights. But, you know, it's still a long way to go, I guess. How how often do you think about money when, when you're at a tournament? I mean, if you... If you were in that position, two sets to one up at Wimbledon, can you put that out of your mind, knowing that you, you you're talking about twenty five thousand yeah, pounds yeah, difference yeah. if you win that next set of tennis? Does do, they, do these thoughts ever come into your head? Do you know what they they never have? They only ever do off the court, um, and because I'd play this, I'd play this sport for free. Um, I'd pay to play this sport. I do pay to play this sport, you know, and and I I do it for zero financial gain, which is what I've been doing anyway. So, so the the prize money per round, and I know a lot of people have said to me that you know it messes with their head when you know you're playing a third set tiebreak for twenty grand or something. But that's that never crosses my mind in the moment that you know losing a match is worse than losing money for me, and and you know winning a match is is the feeling of winning a match is is a lot better than the feeling of winning the money. But obviously, you know, in the cold light of day with a logical mindset, you can you know completely understand that that thought process as well yeah uh, that was very interesting to hear you talk about how you 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 would pay to play this sport and you are effectively paying to play this sport do you, have you ever sort of felt like you're doing quite well financially obviously you've had g- really good runs of results you've got just outside the world's top 150 but have you ever felt like oh I'm doing all right now. Um, maybe when I was younger. Um, obviously, I was I was a pretty successful junior, um, and sponsorships are much more forthcoming at that sort of age. So there are lots more avenues financially, um, and obviously the federations support younger players more. Which you know, again, all of that's completely understandable because you're almost you know paying for potential there. Um, but as you get older, it becomes harder and harder to to make a profit. And and again, you know you you have to fund your coach's career in life as well at the end of the day. Um, and, and I don't think I would class myself as a person who, who hasn't invested in their career financially. Um, I think sometimes I, I could invest a little bit more, you know, but that, that's all, that's all a, a learning curve at the end of the day. Mm. Uh, you're 26 yeah. now. Um, you're, you're a fit lad as you, as we can hear you, you're trying to get even fitter. Um, I just wonder, Given the situation we're in, how, how are you actually feeling at the moment? How because I mean it's it's a pretty lonely life on the tour, yeah. and I just wonder what it's like working away in isolation and yeah. knowing that you're not going to be able to play the sport for for quite a while yet. Yeah, one thing I would say, absolutely loving being at home. Um, again, this is probably the longest I've been home since I was fifteen or sixteen years old. Um, so so it's kind of nice in that sense and and somebody said to me the, the other day actually is, is it hard for you i said you know what it's not this it feels completely normal um which is weird but um the one thing i would say is like like i said before it's the sport like you cannot believe you, you always feel a little bit anxious not playing um i suppose it's made it's made a little bit better knowing that the other guys aren't playing either but at the end of the day t- tennis is my life and and you know, not being able to continue with your life is is a pretty rough, weird situation. Is is there a point, Liam, that you or players you know, if this carries on, are going to have to give up the sport and get another job when this is all over? Because I mean, how sustainable is it? Yeah, I I, I mean, if not, that there are going to have to be some pretty good results. <laughs> when we come out, we're going to have to come out firing. Um, 
but you know not everyone's going to be able to do that because there's only a certain amount of tournaments um so there'll be some players that will just manage to dodge the bullet by you know hitting a good run of form hopefully you know there'll be federations like the LTA that provide you know sort of packages and possible loan deals um hopefully you know the one with the LTA is good enough that I'll be able to continue paying and and pay them back and then you know be able to get to a stage where I can fund myself again but like I said that you know the non-slam playing countries I think a few players that have stopped playing you know the the ones like me that become reliant upon the slam qualifying prize money you know to to lose that is is a pretty pretty heavy hit mm. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, Liam, it's it's lovely to talk to you and wish you all the best with it. And as you say, one week at a time. Yeah, thank you, mate. Stay safe. So there's Liam Brody, who is trying to keep in shape as best he can and be ready to go as and when. When that will be, none of us know. And uh, it's it's a difficult situation for everybody, as he says, easier for British players and Slam Nation players than many others. And he also referenced the support package that the LTA are looking to put in place for British players and for coaches and for venues to keep the the game functioning in the near future. So let's hear from Scott Lloyd, the chief executive of the LTA, on the package that's currently being put in place in the UK. Well, Scott, thank you very much for joining us. These are tough times for everybody, certainly more wide-reaching than just sports, but they do include challenges for sporting federations like the LTA. What what sort of challenges do you face? Well, um, you're quite right, David, that you know, the mo- most important thing to say at this time is that, that the health and well-being of everybody um, and our thoughts being with everybody that, that's been affected by the coronavirus, but, but you're right in that our sport is far from exempt from from its impact, and um, you know this pandemic has the potential to to put the continued further growth of tennis at, at risk. So, we know that many many people involved in in tennis uh, in Britain are concerned about their futures and are facing many challenges. Which is which is why we um, announced a, um, an unprecedented support package last week to ensure that clubs and venues can remain viable while coaches and officials also are not lost to the sport during this during this challenging time. I mean, from a federation's perspective, um, we're a not-for-profit organisation, so we are committed to investing our net revenues back into tennis um, and the delivery of our of our of our five-year of our five-year plan. Um, you know, we like any business are impacted by the uncertainty around our future revenues and our future incomes. And so we have to take a, a, a really good, strong, hard look at our cash flows and and how we might be able to support that wide variety of, um, of, of stakeholders, if you like, the, the, the community, the tennis community in Britain over the coming weeks and months. I suppose, and knowing that the LTA's finance comes in part, at least, from the profits of Wimbledon, the news that Wimbledon isn't going to take place is obviously a blow on a number of levels, but it appears that they were ahead of the curve in terms of having some insurance in place that, that will help to, to protect your, your future and your future plans. Yeah, that's absolutely right, and we're we're obviously delighted that that that's the case. And we we the LTA uh, work hand in glove with the All England Club on a number of different committees that that oversee matters like that. So that's obviously a fantastic um, 
position to be in given the circumstances notwithstanding that you know the the level of of the of the insurance policy the level of the claim and the timing of any of any payments that that go to reimbursing the championships for its for its costs at this moment in time remain very uncertain so you know we have to continue to to focus on the management of our of our investments and of our costs and and make sure that we stay we stay healthy in that financial sense so that we can continue to support tennis more broadly and and of course hopefully in time get back into investing in its future we we heard scott from liam Brody here on the tennis podcast just explaining what it's like to be a player ranked in the 200s he he told us how much he loves the sport misses it would play it for nothing really but he also pointed out that you know obviously there's a financial aspect to trying to keep going as a tennis player he he said how lucky he feels to be from a grand slam nation that he he's enabled to play so much better than players maybe that aren't from grand slam nations but the repercussions are far reaching you've mentioned the coaches the officials venues tell us about what you can about the package that you announced on friday yeah, well, I mean, Liam's a, a great professional, and um, you know, being a professional tennis player is a, a really tough job at the best of times. And obviously, the, the, the you know a lot of the fans and the, the media focus on those top players, those top one hundred players that are playing in the big tournaments week in week out. But players like Liam that are looking to to earn their living and to make their way on the tour, um, it's an incredibly challenging sport, and so. You know this period of time where prize money and incomes um, are, you know, are just simply not there, uh, only make it that much harder. So what we've been looking to try and do is uh, specifically put in place some support grants for British players uh, and the single side that are ranked outside the top hundred, right the way through to around seven hundred and fifty in the world, and on the double side, up to two hundred and fifty in the world who wouldn't normally. Uh, receive LTA player funding, player grants. Um, uh, but, you know, what we're looking to try and do with those players is just put something in place that helps tide them over for the, for the next three months or so. We can't, re- you know, totally replenish, totally replace their, their normal incomes, but we just want to try and put something in place that helps tide people over. And then furthermore, we're w- looking to put in place um, some enhanced uh, tournament uh, bonuses, uh, particularly uh, an increased prize money for particularly for British tour events, which is the domestic calendar of events that players like Liam and, and through those those uh, ranking ranges play week in week out whilst they're here in Britain. And if we can if we can do that in the back uh, end of the calendar in the autumn of this year to give players those chance to recoup some of those earnings that they might otherwise have been playing for. Again, that's something that we'd like to try and achieve. And I suppose playing domestically may well be the first step for the re- return of tennis, really, because international travel is that much more difficult. Yes, I mean, it, right now, this minute, it's difficult to see um, quite where the international calendar is going to be able to resume because of the point that you've because of the point you've made. So we're starting to scenario plan for a whole range of different um, uh, eventualities, whether that's a return to international tour for, for, for our top elite players and how we can help support and prepare them in readiness for that, or indeed in the absence of the international tour returning, 
um, throughout the course of this year, how we can step up and, and have a more comprehensive uh, domestic calendar as and when the circumstances allow here and as and, as and when we can start to put on events like that. So, you know, that's something that, that we're looking at and, and in some ways we think could be a huge opportunity um, you know, for, for, for the LTA, but not obviously for the players, but for the LTA in driving some visibility of the sport again and, and giving our, our fans, uh, you know, some exciting tennis to watch. We've been looking at really innovative ways to keep people active and, and for particularly our younger audience, younger fans to play tennis at home. So I would just encourage anybody to check out our website, lta.org.uk, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter feeds, because we've got some great stuff out there. And um, I think we're one of the few governing bodies that's that's really got on the front foot and provided some of our LTA youth content um, to try and try and fill those hours whilst we're all at home. So there's uh, Scott Lloyd, the chief executive of the LTA in Great Britain. I did also send an email to the head of communications from the USTA in the United States to ask their position on whether they're planning to do anything similar. And I heard back from Chris Widmeyer, who looks after the communications there. He did say that he expects the USTA will be announcing a support program in the near future, uh, which they're looking at right now and where to redirect and redeploy funding in order to make things work he says more to follow on that but the LTA did act pretty quickly here the quickest really out of and we haven't heard of any any of this stuff from any of the other big federations yet I, I suspect Tennis Australia are going to do something as well um, and it's as Scott was saying I mean it's it's designed to sort of tide these players over and and there's a similar kind of plan in place for for coaches as well but there is such an unknown out there I mean thank goodness they can do something yeah absolutely I mean it's a fantastic I mean it's a coup generally but it's a fantastic PR coup for for the LTA I mean it's it's brilliant it's a it's a fantastic privilege for those involved in tennis in this country that that is able to happen it's of course linked to um wimbledon income being protected by that pandemic insurance of course the lta gets a, a surplus um from wimbledon income is expressed as a surplus because they're both uh, not-for-profit organisations. Um, but that doesn't mean that the LTA income won't be hit because, of course, they get they get a grant from the government. You know, the club revenues are, are going to be... You know, they're going to be hit from, from other sides. I do find it interesting the... Um, what you were saying that Scott Lloyd was talking about in terms of the the impact this is going to have on on participation and the presence of tennis in the country, yes, I do see that. But equally, I, for me, what I've always thought of as one of the biggest challenges for tennis is losing out to other sports. Kids that are good at tennis tend also to be very very good at other sports and. And this is something that I, I think Tennis Australia has, has talked about a lot in a country where most kids play every sport under the sun. They're sort of more attracted to naturally drawn to, to team sports and kids that are, are really good at tennis up until the age of sort of 13 or so where you have to make a, a choice. Um, more often than not, choose away from tennis. Well, that's not going to be the case. Not 
yes, they might be losing absolute ground tennis in this country and in every country, but not going to be losing relative ground to other sports unless you count jumping up and down at the foot of your bed (laughs) on a yoga mat (laughs) looking (laughs) truly ridiculous uh, as a sport, which I am doing at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I suppose the one difference with... With tennis, it's depending on how long this takes, is that Britain's great shop window is the next three months. And if good conditions return later in the year, yes, as, as Scott said, that they will do all, everything within their power to put tennis back in the spotlight and make opportunities available. But you've missed out on Queens and Wimbledon and, and, and that Same goes for cricket, same goes for golf. Okay, football will be able to, to, you know, football gets played at all times of the year, bar a couple of months in the summer, but cricket, golf, athletics, they're all having entire seasons wiped out, also losing their their shop windows. So yeah. I'm not saying it's not a blow, it's a devastating blow, but relatively that ground isn't being lost in the way that it might feel. I'm clutching, David. I'm clutching for, no, for I, positives. I, I, I know. I get your point. And I, I hadn't really considered it in that in those terms before you mentioned it, but but it is a fair point. You know, kids um, at school aren't doing anything besides Joe Wick's PE, are they? And their dads. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm anything to go by. You know, it's not um, like kids are discovering other sports and going this is better than tennis don't want to do tennis and i think you know for me despite my crooked back (laughs) and various other ailments i i keep thinking oh my god all i want to do is be able to play tennis yeah well that that was actually quite nice to hear liam brody talk in those terms about just how in love with the sport he, Mm. he still is after quite a few years as a pro and he's 26 years of age now um just to say as well, the LTA did announce as part of this package, as well as supporting the coaches and officials, they did also announce that they were going to need to furlough some of their staff. Scott Lloyd and the rest of the leadership team there have said that they're all going to take a 20% pay cut. This is going to have an impact on people. And we're going to hear more about that from the ITF a little bit later as well. who have just sent out a statement. But I'd like to hear first, Catherine, from a player who is not from one of the Grand Slam nations. And I think that this is a really important element to this is is that we consider people that, that just are never going to be able to have that kind of backup. And Sophia Shepatava from Georgia is ranked 375 in the world. She's 31 years of age. She has been playing for many, many years. Obviously now can't play. She's currently staying at her, her parents' home, and uh, and she recently started a petition to uh, to try to draw some attention to the plight of players like herself and all of her colleagues, and, and Catherine asked her about that. Obviously, our attention was drawn to your situation by your, your post and the, the petition that, that you've started for, for financial support for, for lower-ranked players from, from the sports governing bodies could you explain that a little what you're calling for what what made you what prompted you to start that in in the first place and feel like you needed to to take action well the the first problem with this petition is that i started it because i wanted 
uh, to know how many players are struggling because I had conversation obviously with many of my friends and well I know that the situation is not great but I wanted to see how many people struggle and how many agree actually on the petition like this. Uh, basically it started as a intention because uh, all of the players I know and I communicate with we all sent some emails right here in particular and no, we didn't really get a lot of answers on the questions we give. And as this is a very special occasion, I would say, and something like this never happens in tennis. Uh, I do think it's something that a tennis organization can help us with because uh, tennis players are self-employed. We're not a contractors and we don't have any security. And the problem also is that whilst all the people think that tennis players are millionaires. That's not the case. Only top players on very top are actually gaining a lot of money. And everyone that's lower than 100 uh, supports themselves from week to week, basically. So once the sport stops, you actually don't have money for the next week. Well, some of us maybe do for a couple of weeks, but obviously most of the tennis players struggle a lot. So I wanted to know if organizations think about us and they have any idea what they're going to do with us. They have any backup plan. Is there, obviously they also have a lot on their hands and it's not something that you are prepared for, obviously, but where they're players, they also need us like we need them. And it's just a, a cry for help, attention, and just to know if they're going to do something about us because it's been already a month the tennis stop and there have been no news whatsoever about what's going to be with players and what what the organizations are going to do about us and also it's very difficult because Grand Slams got cancelled like Wimbledon got cancelled first time since World War II and this is a I would say this is a huge catastrophe in tennis nothing worse can happen and obviously organizations take care of it but Still, that doesn't change the situation. The players are uncertain. We don't know if anything's going to happen. We'll always get the answer that, well, organizations are considering and everything, but it's been a month, honestly. It's been a month, and I know many people who can't parent this month, and I know many people who already struggle to support, like, normal, everyday life. The only situation that helps is you actually don't go out, so you don't spend that much money. You basically need to buy food, but... I still think there has to be some news and players have to feel that, well, we are con not contractors, we are self-employed. Still, we pay licenses, we pay taxes, we pay fines, we oblige the rules, uh, we try to be good sportsmen and have good morals and we play every week. And I do think that we have to have some information from our organizations, whether they care for us or they will do something about us or they at least heard us, you know? So there's uh, Sophia Shapatava, the world number 375. Catherine, you had, you had a good 20 minutes on the phone with her. What else does she have to say? She had a whole lot to say. Um, obviously, you could hear that the, the internet connection um, by which we were speaking wasn't the the best. So uh, I'm, we're not playing too much of the audio but um it's a bit of a shame because she she had so much meaty stuff to to say she's in georgia which is in lockdown they're in a 
a, a state of emergency. That country, all tennis cl- all tennis courts are, are closed. Um, all tennis clubs are closed. Her training, her access to training facilities is pretty much nil. She said, I said, what training are you able to do? And she said, bit of yoga. Um, so yeah, she's, she started this petition as she explained there, cause she kind of wanted to, first of all, test the temperature, wanted to know how many players are struggling, as she said, um, tennis players are, are self-employed with no security. Um, you know, she described that petition as, as a cry for help and attention, um, because, it might not sound that long, but to her, the fact that it's been a month, you know, I could hear in her voice and see in her eyes how agonizing that month has been. A month has felt like an incredibly long time. And it's pretty clear that for, for players ranked pretty much, I mean, it's obviously on a gradient, but outside the top 100, obviously getting more and more acute to the situation, the lower down you get, it's it's a pretty hand-to-mouth world as she said there she knows many players that can't play rent but can't pay rent this month um she will will come on to the fact that we've had a statement from uh, from the ITF shortly she said she had sent a couple of emails to the ITF in the last uh, in the last few weeks she's she's had replies to those but they've been kind of holding messages saying that that they're considering their their options um she talked a lot about the, the problem specific to tennis being that there's not really a sense of community, not just down to the fact that there's no explicit players union um, and no no clear singular voice. Um, but she said this is a really competitive sport and the nature of it doesn't lend itself to a sense of community. She says she said we're not supportive enough of one another as players compared to other sports which I found really interesting and I think she is well I know she is she did say as much as she understands everybody's got got stuff going on big stuff going on you know their own personal concerns and anxieties she is disappointed that more high profile people players with the luxury of a platform aren't speaking out more aren't creating more of a voice for for tennis as a whole and that comes back to the feeling of union um among players um yeah she you know she 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 said there'd been an a, an email from the WTA to to players informing them of the various loan application schemes uh, around the world um, and she said she'd consulted with a, a lawyer about those to see if she was eligible, eligible, but the lawyer had informed her that the majority of tennis players aren't eligible for those loans um, because, of course, they do their their earnings, their revenues look quite high on the face of it often. But, of course, a lot of the time their expenses are <laughs> close to equal to those, those earnings, right? So profits are... Yeah, exactly, or or exceed those earnings. And she she also said, um, which is a really interesting point, that that most of those loans require a guarantor of some kind, some kind of security, um, a guarantee, a, a guarantee um, against 
those loans and tennis players don't have that they just don't have any kind of security like that she said I and most other players ranked outside the world's top 200 coach to supplement their income just to make ends meet and obviously coaching isn't an option at all um and yeah it's it's uh it's desperate she 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 was incredibly composed and and well spoken and calm but she seemed sad you know it was really yeah. striking that this is i mean i keep saying it's tough for everyone but it, yeah it was tough it was tough speaking to her she, luckily she had a lovely little pomeranian that <laughs> made an appearance midway through the interview and it, it genuinely did make me feel better for her i thought oh at least you've got a dog with you <laughs> um but <laughs> but yeah it was um it was, it was sort of it was pretty um moving really mm. and uh, you... she, sorry she she said that she thinks a lot of players won't come back from this she thinks many will quit she said she said even when tra- tennis does restart again many won't have the capital the money in the bank to be able to travel to to events to start earning again they're going to be so much kind of in in arrears that they won't be able to deploy the the expenditure required to start earning again yeah that's that's it is a tough business to to make a go of it really in the first place and quite interestingly over the last 24 hours we had patrick moritoglu putting out a, a an open letter in which he talked about the challenges faced by players outside the world's top 100 and felt as though it's time tennis did something to help them and and uh, urged all the governing bodies to get together to to try to sort something out whilst also saying that he felt that the top 100 players that are making money absolutely 100% deserve the money that they've got, which did lead me to think, well, okay, well, what are you actually suggesting here, Patrick? Because it's all well and good saying that you feel like something should be done, but I don't see any suggestion here as to what that should be. We we have invited Patrick on to the podcast to to, to let us know his thoughts. Um, we have uh, been directed to his PR person, so we'll perhaps uh, hear from that person at some point um, in the future. But we did get a statement in the last couple of hours, actually, from the ITF, which uh, was addressing more the fact that they are having to cut their own cloth accordingly. They're they're putting half of their staff on furlough as a, as in terms of what they call a job protection scheme, which obviously is designed to reduce their own costs as well. Uh, their senior leadership team has taken a 20% reduction in salary. The ITF president, David Haggerty, has voluntarily taken a 30% decrease. And they've said as well, towards the bottom of that statement, in addition to these measures, the ITF is in discussion with the other tennis stakeholders to look into the various options to support nations and players during these times. And we'll provide more information when we've completed that process so that perhaps will eventually address some of the concerns that Sophia has been raising and and the difficulties faced out there we also contacted the WTA um, which elicited a, a statement from the chief executive Steve Simon which which was quite candid I thought and, and quite interesting uh, Catherine you've got that there yeah I do um 
He says, for everyone in the tennis community and beyond, this has been an unprecedented, challenging time. Our hearts go out to the fans, the players and the tournaments, including the tournament staff, none of whom are getting what they were counting on. We wish there was a way everyone, especially those in need the most, could be compensated at the level they were expecting. But the needs are so great and the WTA, unfortunately, is not in a financial position to do that. Professional tennis players are independent contractors and not employees of the WTA. As a result, a player's compensation is based on on on-court competition. And when tournaments are not held, this puts a pause on their principal revenue flow. The WTA fully recognises the challenges these athletes are facing, as well as those similar challenges being dealt with from millions of people around the world during this unprecedented situation. That being said, the WTA is diligently working with our tournaments to maximise earning possibilities when the professional tennis circuit is able to resume and is considering an extension to the current 44-week season to enable more tournaments to take place. It is our sincere hope to return to the court as soon as possible, when the health and safety of our players, fans and staff can be guaranteed, we will be back competing. Yeah, so that shows you how handcuffed they feel they are in terms of being able to make a, a material difference to, to certainly to, to players that are, are, are as low-ranked as players in the 300s. But it sounds as though, frankly, you're all on your own, really. We're going to do our very best to, to provide an infrastructure for the return to the sport, but we can't exactly sub you in order to, to just get by. Yeah, I mean, look, it's clear that everyone involved here is broadly well-intentioned. Nobody wants tennis to go to the wall or individuals going 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 bankrupt or going without food or paying their rent. I mean, one thing that... One positive that this has brought out in every one and every aspect of the world is sort of a, a sense of community and goodwill. And I don't doubt the intentions of all these all these bodies, but it does worry me slightly that that the ITF, in the last aspect of their statement, they've said we'll we'll be speaking to our stakeholders to see what help we they're able to offer, and stakeholders to me, sounds like ATP, WTA and federations. Well, LTA aside, who we know are in quite a privileged position, it sounds like even other Grand Slam nations, if what Simon's reporting in his piece are accurate, are in potentially quite quite dire straits, um, let alone uh, players from, from smaller nations, less wealthy uh, federation nations and that statement from the WTA I, I really appreciate how candid it is about the WTA just not financially being in a position to to support their players so if the ITF is looking to the WTA and the ATP to step in it sounds like I don't know it's the the sort of logically working through that female players from smaller less wealthy nations are which is exactly what what Sophia is are are in an extremely precarious situation, and they're the ones most likely to be in a precarious situation to to start with. You know, the rich get richer and the, the poor get poorer. That's what ha- happens in a crisis, right? As uh, as Mary Carillo said a couple of weeks ago. But obviously, if everyone could m- wave a magic wand and provide financial support for 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 all players, coaches, that they'd be doing it. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. I'm just going to interrupt this little bit of the podcast here because... Literally two minutes after we finished recording this edition of the show, we saw a tweet by John Wertheim of Sports Illustrated saying that he'd got a note issued by the WTA to the players, uh, which reads thus. This email has been sent to you on behalf of our Players' Council and Board representatives. The WTA has been suspended, as you know, through the first week of July. We realise the financial strain on many of you due to lack of playing opportunities. For that reason, we have arranged for all players who are currently full and associate members of the WTA to receive a rebate of the membership fees you paid for the last three years. Full member fees are $1,500 per year and associate member fees are six fifty per year. So, for example, if you've been a full member for all three years, you'll receive 4500 and so on. So there has been a little bit of relief given to WTA players uh, as a result of the Players' Council and their members' fees rebate. Now, back to the pod. Should top players be be putting a fund together between them, the top ten players on either tour, in order to I'm support really, the lower ranks? My instinct is to go yes, absolutely. Why wouldn't they? But I'm really, really wary of the sort of clickbaity culture, and we've seen it so much with football um, and Premier League football of uproar about millionaire athletes not sticking their hands in their pockets and actually there was a very interesting um, podcast from The Athletic uh, this week their weekly um, news 
podcast, um, just drilling down into the finances of the Premier League. And there's been a whole load of criticism of Premier League footballers as to why they're not all sticking their hands up to take a 30% pay cut. And kind of the headline of that was what they be what they would be being asked to do there is to subsidize the Premier League which is an extremely wealthy organization there it's sort of uh, uh, on on the face of it quite an unreasonable thing it's the Ornstein and Chap- Chapman podcast if you want to have a, have a listen to it and it, it drills down the the exact finances pretty clearly and it did put things into a slightly different perspective for me and I'm also wary of the fact that we don't know what players are doing just because they're not doing doing it publicly and making a song and dance about it doesn't mean they're not doing stuff and that's a really fine balance isn't it because it enables those that aren't doing stuff to help to to hide behind those that are and aren't wanting to make a song and dance about it so yes i i'd like to think that they are helping because kind of that's the that's the spirit of this whole situation, isn't it? People sticking their hand up to help, whether it's financially or practically, emotionally, volunteering, whatever it is. Um, but just because we're not hearing about it in a eye-catching, glitzy PR release kind of way doesn't mean it's not happening. I hope that it's happening. So what about tennis tournaments? What happens when a tennis tournament has to decide that it can't go ahead? Stephen Farrow is the tournament director of the Fever Tree Championships at the Queen's Club. He also looks after all of the events in the UK outside of Wimbledon leading up to it, all those grass court tournaments. And one of the questions that I had for him was why couldn't tournaments be played behind closed doors? Our view all along was, of my personal view, but actually the view of us more generally at the LTA, and it matched the view of Wimbledon, which was that behind closed doors, we felt wasn't really workable. Because if you look at why you would be playing an event behind closed doors, well, it's because you didn't want to get a large group of people together. And, you know, obviously getting 9,300 people together at Queen's each day is a lot more than you know, 500, 600, 700 staff that we would need to service an empty arena with no spectators in it. But we would still need about five, six, seven hundred people all together in order to service a behind closed doors event. And so that always felt to us like something that that just wasn't wasn't realistic. I think added into that as well, I mean, I, I, um, I, I really doubted what the appetite of players would be to come and play in any event when the 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 government has dictated to us or the sport has dictated to us that no fans can be allowed in but we're still expecting them to travel to to undertake international travel to come and play in front of nobody you know it it never felt to me like something which i personally thought was particularly realistic for the sport so I mean, answer your question is it was seriously considered but it was never something that we thought was was realistically going to happen what happens when you have to cancel an event when this all suddenly was decided what do you do next well the decision from a tour perspective i mean for all our atp um, wta and the itf events we do because of course we do the lower level um, itf pro series events the itf women's event that we have in manchester that's part of the grass court season um so for all the atp wta and itf events ultimately it is the decision of the tour to cancel the event 
Um, you know, we we had a very um, open, very good conversations with all three governing bodies. And, you know, I would say that um, one thing that I think struck us here was quite how um, open and collaborative and pragmatic that all the governing bodies were um, about um, you know how realistic it was to go ahead, and also the impact on 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 tournaments. You know, we we got together as a group of grass court tournaments. Um, you know, both us and the and the tournaments taking place um, in uh, in mainland Europe during that period, and and you know we very much formed a collective view that it wasn't realistic for us to um, carry on any further. And then it was for us. We then went to the ATP, WJ, and ITF, and said, "This is what we what we think the situation is." We initially were looking at um, the end of April to make a decision about the um, feasibility of the grass court season, but we ended up bringing that forward because I think what we all found, both in the UK and the, you know, the guys in Germany and Holland and Spain as well, is that b- because so many events were falling by the wayside, we are all, all the events, even the ones abroad, they've got an element of temporary infrastructure to support them. And what we all found was you know, our contractors were beginning to shut down and, you know, there, there were various things around the edges making it more and more difficult to to think that we were going to be able to deliver the events. I mean, one really good example, I mean, down in Eastbourne where, you know, the top car park at Eastbourne, which is where we build the broadcast comp- compound, is going to be used as a temporary food depot. You know, a lot of the hotels in Eastbourne were shutting down. You know, we heard from other hotels that they might be used for uh, for the NHS little things for us which seem sort of relatively small but are really important how are we going to train ball crews when the schools are closed there's all it felt like every day during the first couple of weeks of march or um, up to the third week of march something else happened which made you think i'm really not sure whether we're going to be able to go ahead with these with these events or not and we all collectively both in the uk and in europe we were at the same point if anything the tournaments in europe because they were subject to more severe restrictions at that point and were further ahead with us in terms of the uh, what, what's happening with the virus in those countries. If anything, they were pushing more for an earlier decision than we were. But we certainly had a very collective view that it wasn't sustainable. We went to the tours, the, the respective tours took that decision. And then obviously for us, um, for all the grass court tournaments, a big part of it was was where Wimbledon were as well, because we would we all of us are here in order to have great events of our own right, but also to provide the best preparation for Wimbledon and very supportive of everything that that the championship offers. And so we were in close contact with Wimbledon, all of us as grass court events in terms of what they were thinking and where they thought they were going to go. And then ultimately we were were in the position um, on the 1st of April to make an announcement at the same day that the whole of the grass court season was going to be cancelled. And there are so many knock-on effects, aren't there? There are so many people. You mentioned contractors. I mean, these are people that helped them create the tournament from building the stands to to all the jobs that are around a tennis tournament. It's it's a huge operation, isn't it? I imagine you had a, a lot of phone calls. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, it's still going on now, dealing with the, the repercussions of it. I mean, we work with some fantastic contractors who we've worked with for years and years and years. We have a great group who are really take a lot of uh, responsibility for delivering the events I mean, up and down the country. I mean, not, not just Queens, but, you know, look at, at Queens. We've got the likes of Arena. We've got Neptunus. You know, we're absolute taster. Our caterers, these are all fantastic companies who put so much into our event, working all year round, really, to deliver the temporary infrastructure and uh, and and create that experience at Queens that, that we love so much. And, 
same at all our events. Similarly, similarly in Eastbourne and 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 Birmingham and Nottingham and elsewhere, there's a lot that goes into the events, and there's a lot of people who put a lot of love and care, and it's a real highlight of the year for so many people. So. You know, we're we're conscious of that. You know, both sort of the the fact that it's um it's a big disappointment to many people. It's obviously financially challenging for for a lot of people right now in the broader economy as well as for our contractors. And we just have to be hopeful that we all emerge through this period stronger, or at least we survive, so we can then build up um, over the years to come. But it is certainly a, a challenging period. And um, but you know, at the same time, what what I would also say is. I mean, to go back to the point I said about the ATP, WTA and ITF, I think with regard to our contractors um, and, and everyone who plays a part in our event, there's a real sense of people coming together to support each other. So, you know, we've had some very open, honest conversations with a lot of our contractors. We're very much trying to work together through these issues. And, and I'd even extend that out to, you know, a lot of the players as well. You know, it's been really quite touching. So there's the messages that I personally have had and some of the other tournament directors in the UK that we've had from players, like saying how sad they are that the grass court season isn't going ahead. Is there anything they can do to help? You know, and that's quite special as well, because it shows that what we do every year really means something to people. And it shows that hopefully we'll be able to emerge from this in a strong position because we've got that great base of support that will mean that we'll be able to grow, grow again in the future. Yeah, you mentioned to me the other day, I mean, obviously, we work together at Queen's. And obviously, I, I know about the, the messages that you've had from from the players there. But I, the one that really struck me was that you got a note from Donna Vekic, who, who maybe you don't know so well, but but she just got in touch. Yeah, and I thought that was amazing. I mean, I mean, look, there's obviously the players that you and I know very well, David, from the, from the years working at Queen's and the likes of Marin Cilic and Grigor Dimitrov and Milos Rajanic and, 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 you know, a lot of these guys who, and Feliciano Lopez as well, you know, all these guys who we know very well, who come back year after year. Jamie Murray as well has been great. Um, but, but yeah, Donna, who I don't know, don't know so well, just emailed me out of the blue and said she was really sad to hear about what happened with the grass court season. Was there anything that she could do to support? So they were doing a bit with Donna on our social media. And, you know, I thought that was really nice. It shows how much they value what we're doing and also how important it is to them, the grass court season. I mean, the idea of Queen's not happening, of Eastbourne not happening, but I mean, obviously Wimbledon not happening. And I have to say that as, I mean, I'm a tennis fan. I obviously work in tennis. I obviously love the sport as well. I mean, I, you get so engrossed in it. And we were dealing with, you know, flying by the seat of our pants a bit in terms of you know, keeping all the plates spinning, about, you know, trying to keep things going during that difficult period leading up to cancellation. But, you know, the minute that we were cancelled, like the next day, I think we were all slightly in shock because when you take a step back and you think, you know, Wimbledon's not going to happen for the first time since the Second World War, you know, similarly with a lot of our other events, you know, these are events that have happened for decades and suddenly they're not happening. I mean, that's a, it's a heck of a, um, you know, June's got, June and July are going to be very, very different without them. But, you know, there's a huge sense of perspective given by what's going on right now. And there are so many people suffering. There are so many people struggling financially, struggling with the virus. You know, we are we're in the privileged position that we are we are healthy. And all we've got to worry about is dealing with the repercussions of cancelling tennis events and looking ahead to 2021. So we're thankful for that. And and the decisions that were taken to cancel the events were obviously the right ones in the context in which the the whole country and the whole world and and the situation we're all facing right now just finally in in terms of those repercussions and planning how far reaching are they or is it just too early to know at this stage 
I think it is a little too early to, to know exactly what, what the consequences of what's happening now will be for 20, our 2021 events. Um, you know, we run a, we, we, the LTA, we obviously run loads of events all the way through the year. You know, it's not just about the summer grass court events. We've got our uh, ITF women's event in Shrewsbury, which was also cancelled a few weeks before the grass court events, which was a, you know, that's a fantastic tournament there, which is really growing. And Dave Cortine, the Shrewsbury club there, who, who runs that event for us, is a fantastic job. And it's a real shame to see that fall as well. We have the Murray Trophy in September, the ATP Challenger event we do, and we have a number of Pro Series events and other events all the way through the year. So, you know, I, I think in the, the, the immediate guess, challenge for us is what's going to happen to the events that we've already got in the calendar later in the year. And for that, like everyone, we're just, you know, waiting to see what happens, you know, when will the tour will be able to restart, when regional, international, domestic tennis will be able to restart. So so there are the repercussions from what's happening now that we're looking at for the rest of the year. And obviously you get to November time, ATP finals taking place in London, Davis Cup finals scheduled to take place in Madrid. You know, what's going to happen to those events? We hope very much that they'll that they'll go ahead. But, you know, obviously nobody knows really at this stage when restrictions are going to be lifted and what situation we'll be in. So that there's there's that element of consideration. Also for us, again, it's quite hypothetical, but depending what happens in terms of when restrictions might be lifted, how will we at the LTA be able to respond to, to deliver um, events to give our players both both from the lowest lower ranked professional players to the highest ranked professional players we have in the UK what what can we do to be able to support them getting some sort of competitive action in order to return so they to return to the tour in the best possible condition as well as start getting people engaging with tennis again later in the year so Catherine it's it shows just how much is up in the air doesn't it how how everybody really is just trying to work this out on the fly, including us. It's it's a pretty impossible situation. Yeah, no, I mean, all got to hold our hands up and uh, say none of us were remotely prepared for this <laughs> as individuals, as apart from Wimbledon, <laughs> as individuals, as organisations. It's completely blindsided. All of us, and we're we're scrabbling. Some organisations are panicking, some less so, but we're all scrabbling, um, and that's completely understandable. But um, yeah, I was listening to um, a podcast today. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. You'll be uh, not too surprised to hear um, with Alain de Botton, the uh, the philosopher. It's the How to Fail podcast, and. Uh, I mean, there's just so much beautiful wisdom in there. Uh, I'd highly recommend it for, for anyone struggling with the situation, which presumably is everyone. Um, but he said um, it's it's completely, it's a sign of sanity to experience some insanity in scenarios like this. If you're dealing and coping with all of this brilliantly, you're not normal. <laughs> I mean, I wish I were you. You're not normal in a in a brilliant way. And good luck to you. But <laughs> nobody's coping with this brilliantly. Everybody needs to be to be cut a bit of slack. Um, I know that's easy for, for me to say from a, a relatively privileged position. I wouldn't expect someone like Sophia to be to be 
quite as easily able to say something like that. And I think that's understandable too. But um, just because there are people in a worse situation from you doesn't mean that your strife and your despair is invalid. Um, it is. Um, and it's tough for everyone, individuals, organisations, governing bodies, millionaires, paupers, everyone. We weren't expecting this, and it's crap. <laughs> except, except Catherine, the tennis podcast is kind of prepared because <laughs> uh, we've got Tennis Relived, thankfully, <laughs> to look forward to, um, which uh, is going to be coming your way over the next few months. We've got another one of those on Monte Carlo final weekend, as should have been, in which we're going to uh, talk about a couple of well, a classic match from Monte Carlo final weekend and a great Fed Cup uh, memory as well because that would have been Fed Cup finals week, wouldn't it? So we wanted to mark both of those. Um, so that'll come up in in a, a week and a half's time from now. On Monday, we've got another show for you. We've got the listener question special that we recorded pre-end of in the world. In a different world, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really must listen back to that before I put it out so that... <laughs> So that I have the first clue what on earth life used to be like back then. Um, also wanted to send our very best wishes to our year-long tennis podcast mascot, Butler, and his owners who are such wonderful people and we've we've heard from them that Butler isn't very well and we... We are thinking of Butler, aren't we? Because he's the best dog. Uh, I mean, look, I say, I, mean I, I say that about all of our mascot dogs and all of the dogs that get sent Catherine's way, and they are dozens of them. But Butler is an absolute beauty. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're thinking of you. All dogs are the best dogs, but Butler really is great. <laughs> Butler is uh, Yeah, really, I have... Um, yeah, I've been thinking about Butler over the last few days, and... Uh, yeah, we wish you well. Mm. So, Catherine, thank you. Uh, go and have a beer. Uh, I'm going to go and have a beer. And uh, then we will be back with another tennis podcast on Monday. We hope you've enjoyed this one. Bit of a different one, but hopefully it's given you an understanding of a little bit more of where we are in the tennis world right now. It's a funny old place to be, but uh, we'll take it a day at a time. See you on Monday. 